The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. to the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Bat. Sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. And Bruce Nolan. I once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter, at Bruce Exclusive. My co-host, Nick, is not able to be with us today because this is kind of an emergency pod, mostly because the NFL transaction wire just went bonkers yesterday, and there's suddenly a new flood of unrestricted free agents on the market that changed the dynamic or may change the dynamic for the way the Bills approach unrestricted free agency. We know that former Browns linebacker Christian Kirksey was in town for a visit. There's a possibility he could fill a need that the Bills have that was created by the retirement of Lorenzo Alexander, but there's other players out there. And I wanted to get something in front of Bills Mafia to have them be able to digest some thoughts on this. And I wanted to bring in somebody who I could have a discussion with about this. And I went to Joe Marino. Joe Marino from the Draft Network is here with me host of Locked On Bills. Joe, thanks so much for being here, man. Hey, Bruce, thanks for having me on. And uh, it's this is going to be fun. It seems like every time I get onto Twitter right now, a new player is released and someone else is saying, should the Bills go after that? And, and so it's going to be fun to dig into the answer to those questions here on this show. Yeah, it's going to be good to kind of, uh, con- how do say, coagulate a lot of those thoughts that sometimes can be a little fluid as more players are being released and different different players become available and we're just going to dive right into it and start with some of the transaction wire things that happened yesterday. So we're going to start with Ricky Wagner, who's a right tackle for Detroit. Now I know the bills had had discussions about Wagner when he was on the free agent market in 2017 released by Detroit. If you think Cody Ford's a guard, then you still might be in the span to get a right tackle. Even with the Quentin Spain resigning, there are some members of Bill's Mafia who might be out there thinking 
Ricky Wagner still might be someone. Joe, thoughts on Wagner, thoughts on his fit for this team? Well, first thing I'll say is the important thing to remember with these players that we're going to discuss today is that they do not count towards the compensatory formula. So if you're of that thinking that uh, the Bills are now in that that space where compensatory picks become a real thing, players that are released do not count towards it. So these are players that you can add without uh, jeopardizing your opportunity to get picks back for players the Bills might lose this offseason. So when it comes to Ricky Wagner, this this goes back to the question that I thought we had answered when Quentin Spain resigned, is that, you know, is Cody Ford sticking at right tackle? And when Quentin Spain was brought back, it was a pretty loud signal to me that yeah, Cody Ford's going to stick at right tackle. But if you wanted to move Ford into the guard position, maybe challenge John Feliciano for that right guard spot, Ricky Wagner's a player that you could look at to bring in. Now I'll say he is probably coming off his worst season as a pro with Detroit after a pretty good stretch, uh, whether that was with Baltimore or the Lions uh, as, as a starter. But um, at this point, it really comes down to if Cody Ford's your right tackle and you feel good about Inseki as the backup, Ricky Wagner's the guy that you stay away from. Now, here's a question for you about Cody Ford and the right tackle on the guard. If you brought in a right tackle in general, not just Ricky Wagner, and he... Maybe it was Dennis Kelly from the Titans, who was someone who I thought about before the Quentin Spain re-signing. Then at that point, do you, does it become Cody Ford versus John Feliciano at right guard? Or does it become the free agent signing versus Ricky Wagner, or the free agent signing versus, you know, uh, sorry, Ricky Wagner, the free agent signing, or Dennis Kelly, the free agent signing versus Cody Ford at right tackle? What do you think happens there if you brought in a right tackle? I think if you were to bring in a, a known commodity like Wagner, that's a pretty tell sign that you're going to move forward inside the guard because I, I feel like Ricky Wagner would probably be the best right tackle on the team. I, I also think that the best thing for Cody Ford, a player that you just invested a pretty high second round pick in, the best thing for him and him reaching a ceiling in the NFL is, is playing one spot. And to quick move, quit moving him around. I know that Coach McDermott really values position flexibility, which is good in a pinch. But when you're trying to learn the nuances and techniques of one position in the NFL after coming from Oklahoma in the Big 12, where you really never had to get in a three-point stance and roll your hips into contact and do the different type of pass sets that are required in the NFL, the worst thing you want to do is continue musical chairs with that player. The best thing for Cody Ford and his ability to become his best version of himself to help the Buffalo Bills is to find out what spot he is going to play and for him to develop the technique and nuance to fit into that spot. Okay. Moving right along. Now, some people might think that the cornerback two spot is taken care of with Josh Norman. We have Josh Norman. We have Levi Wallace. They're going to duke it out for CB2. Maybe we add a young player, but there are other people who think maybe a free, action, a free agent transaction still might be in the cards. For someone like that, a former 2017 All-Pro player in Xavier Rhodes who came from a well-coached defense down there in Minnesota with Mike Zimmer. What are your thoughts of Xavier Rhodes? I know he's declined. Is he just washed at this point? Is he bottomed out? Or is there some Josh Norman potential, maybe reclamation project upside here with Xavier Rhodes from Minnesota? You know, I... I don't think Xavier Rhodes is a player I'd be overly interested in for a lot of the same reasons I wasn't that interested in Josh Norman. Very similar declines. I think maybe Rhodes uh, 
declined a little later than than Norman did, and he's a little younger than Norman. But the reality with Rhodes is he's been a poor performer over the last couple of seasons. And one of the big excuses that you can make for Josh Norman and his struggles in Washington is that he didn't necessarily have the best uh, secondary players around him, and he, he was asked to play a lot more man coverage, which is not necessarily his strength. With Xavier Rhodes, it's never been a question of talent around him or the right coverage techniques that he was asked to play, and he still declined in, in, in an environment that he's been in since you know 2013. So, you know, I think the Bills have already made their decision in terms of old cornerback reclamation project. And if the Bills are going to invest in the cornerback market, which I hope they do, I hope that's Kevin Johnson or a fairly early draft pick and a young, talented player. So the next two people we're going to group together because we recognize the defensive tackle is a need. We have Harrison Phillips coming off of an ACL injury. We don't know how he will look. There's a lot of discussion about you not being really the same for a couple years after having an ACL injury the way that he did. But two interesting names, at least from a name recognition standpoint, who hit the market recently are Linval Joseph, also from Minnesota, and Brandon Meebane coming from the Chargers. Joe, any interest? I'd have more interest in Linval Joseph. And I think that there's concerns at both defensive tackle spots for the Bills obviously a backup to Ed Oliver at three tech, but you know, star Latule is the one tech and everybody loves Harrison Phillips. And he showed some really encouraging signs early last season before the ACL tear. But you know, this is a player that's young in the league. That's still unproven and is coming off, you know, his second ACL tear since I think 2015. And so you, you, you probably need to make sure you have more than just Harrison Phillips that you feel comfortable with backing up star Latule. Well, what if I told you Linval Joseph was a better run defender than Star Latulale? And it really becomes this dynamic where you have two plugs that you feel good about playing over the center. And and I don't know what, you know, Linval Joseph at, uh, what is he, 30, almost 32 years old, 31 years old. I'm not sure what type of deal he can command, but on a modest one-year deal where you feel like you become more stout up front, your run defense improves, you allow Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds to flow more freely to the football Linval Joseph Joseph is somebody I can get behind, especially with some of the uncertainty that comes with Harrison Phillips coming back. Linval Joseph is also someone that I I, I think highly of. I, there's been multiple NFL players who have described him as as the strongest man they've ever actually exchanged power with, you know, in the trenches. And I remember still to this day when when Jason Pierre Paul and Linval Joseph both got drafted by the Giants. I was like, okay, well, they're they're serious about that defensive line. That's that's a, that's a thing that they're they're going to definitely invest in. I was a fan of him coming out of college, and let's move on to the linebacker spot real fast. So we understand that we don't want to overreact to the retirement of Lorenzo Alexander. We know 10, 15 snaps a game at strong side linebacker. There was some versatility that Lorenzo Alexander gave us that it's very unlikely we're going to get from whoever we are quote unquote plugging the hole with. But there are some interesting options, including one who has experience in a Sean McDermott defense. There are three linebackers out there right now. Christian Kirksey, released by Cleveland. Tahir Whitehead, released by Las Vegas. And Thomas Davis, former Panther, who was very commonly projected to the Bills last offseason because of the obvious Carolina connection, who now finds himself on the list again this offseason. Joe. Thoughts on the linebacker position, specifically those three names I gave you? The the two that 
make me interested are, are Thomas Davis and Christian Kirksey. Obviously, Davis, a player that is familiar with Sean McDermott from their time together in Carolina. And I think for a while there, Keekley and Davis were probably the most dynamic duo on the second level in the NFL. And, you know, Thomas Davis, 36 years old, but he played he played okay for the Chargers last year. I think in a limited role, I mean, he played almost 1,000 snaps, 805 snaps last year for the Chargers. I think if you're asking him to play a reduced role when you want to have three linebackers on the field, not only do you check that box with a veteran that knows the system, but you add that veteran back to the room. That's kind of the interesting part about Lorenzo Alexander leaving is it 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 doesn't leave that veteran in the room that I know that McDermott and Bean really prefer to have. Edmonds and Milano are good players, but they're still young. They're on their rookie deal and then a bunch of unproven guys as the backups. And then, you know, Julian Stanford's contract is dangling out there. We'll see what happens. But, you know, if he were to be back, that's your veteran in the room. I think Thomas Davis could provide that that solid play you're looking for in a limited role, but also give you that veteran leadership that, you know, is almost unmatched in the NFL. I mean, Thomas Davis, a, a bonafide team captain for a long time and a former Walter Payton Man of the Year award type guy. That's that's a player you want to have in your football team. Christian Kirksey also interests me a, a good amount as well. Obviously, injuries over the last couple seasons have, have really limited his ability to contribute, but then the previous two years, he was everywhere on the football field, a big time in terms of tackle production. And, you know, his character leadership is something that everybody raves about. I mean, you saw Joe, Joe Thomas uh, coming out and saying some kind words about him. And so, you know, if you're looking for a younger, maybe more upside version of Thomas Davis, then I can get behind it. I think that the challenging question that I'd almost like to pin back on you, Bruce, is, you know, we, we talk about a 4-3 defense. We talk about the need of a Sam linebacker. And, and a, typically a Sam linebacker is somebody with big-time instincts that can play into the line of scrimmage, that can take on blocks, that gives you some blitz ability, uh, and, and is more of a read-and-react guy as opposed to that weak side linebacker that's more of a pursuit-style backer. Do you think if that Davis or Kirksey is necessarily a fit for that type of role, or is the evolution of McDermott's defense more of a right and left outside linebacker where they need to be interchangeable? I think that the discussion with Lorenzo Alexander um, not too long ago on social media with the Sam versus Will thing has shown us that there are times when it's going to be a left and right scenario. And I think that with Milano oftentimes being lined up over the tight end and having Mm -hmm. Lorenzo as the will, I think you have to have linebackers who ideally can do both. Now, we know full well that there are going to be linebackers who are better in certain areas. You and I talked about this when we talked about replacing him as him being Lorenzo Alexander within the building. And we talked about this regarding Tyrell Dodson and playing into the line of scrimmage. And I think sometimes sometimes maybe we fall into the fall into the gap really of over specifying and when as we move toward this almost positionless style of football that mm-hmm. is common on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball with the you know pace and space and using offensive weapons and flexing out running backs and flexing out tight ends and as the lines between offensive positions become blurred i feel like the lines between defensive positions start to become a little bit blurred too and so I don't know if it's necessarily as rigid as we sometimes like to make it. It's not necessarily, okay, this is my Sam bucket. Okay, this is my Will bucket. But 
if there's somebody out there like you and I specifically mentioned our fifth round pick last year out of Florida and specifically mentioned the fact that that's not something he does well regarding the Sam responsibilities, playing into the line of scrimmage, having good instincts, reading and reacting. We specifically talked about that not being a strength and that not being necessarily a good fit to replace Lorenzo Alexander. And maybe as we're examining these free agents, we just need to say, okay, maybe it's not a strength, but can he do it? Maybe that's the answer to our question here. Well, sure. Yeah, I, I think that interchangeability is something that matters just like at safety, where it's not so much free and strong anymore as it is you got to be interchangeable. And, and that's something that as the game evolves defensively, that's that's something we have to open our eyes to. Okay, so we're going to touch on tight end here, and I want to give my thoughts on these tight ends, and then you can tell me what you think about what I just said about them, because there's two big-name tight ends that recently got to the market, Delaney Walker from Tennessee, Jimmy Graham from Green Bay. I personally am not of the opinion that the Bills will make a notable addition to addition to the tight end room this offseason. I mentioned on Twitter earlier today, today being Saturday, if you're listening to this the day that it's dropping, and what I mentioned was, I think that the restructure of Tyler Croft's contract, along with the exclusive rights free agent deal given to Kroom, would lean my opinion more toward the fact that their flirtation with Greg Olson was more about opportunity and less about them saying, we got to go get a tight end. It was more about, hey, Brandon Bean has said, we're never going to get away from opportunities. We're never going to push away opportunities. We're going to look for all opportunities to improve the team. And they knew Greg Olson. They knew what he brought to the table. Because he was available, let's go look at him. But that doesn't mean they were necessarily out on the tight end hunt and found Greg Olson. It was, we weren't looking for it, but hey, this thing came around. It almost felt to me like it was more opportunistic than it was an active decision to go out there and seek out more help in the tight end room. I would be very surprised if either Delaney Walker or Jimmy Graham was on the Bills' free agent wish list this year. In addition, Delaney Walker getting up there in age at a position where we've seen what age and lack of explosion can do to a tight end position when you start to lose your legs a little bit. We saw that with Charles Clay toward the end of his career. And Jimmy Graham, I'm level with you. If, you. if you can't produce with Aaron Rodgers significantly, mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure someone like Josh Allen. Aaron Rodgers has been known to be able to give his receivers a chance, and that has not been historically a Josh Allen thing. Now, obviously, we saw a little bit of a, a, a shift in Josh Allen there at the Houston game and giving Duke Williams 10 targets, but I'm not sure that lends itself toward more of a contested cast tight end. Joe, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I agree with you. I mean, Jimmy Jimmy Graham, let's not forget he's had Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, and Aaron Rodgers as his quarterbacks in the NFL. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that he's a high upside contributor at this point, 33 years old. Um, maybe if you're looking for a, a, you know, a safety valve type player, but I feel like the Bills have that already in the building. And then Delaney Walker, he's played, what, eight games over the last two seasons. Now he came off a stretch for three years there where – him and Mar- Marcus Mariota were a nice little hookup, and I think he's a well-respected player across the league. But you know, I question his ability to remain healthy, especially at age 35. And I think one thing that's been interesting is I've kind of dug into things getting ready for free agency is that the Bills are already among the top 10 teams in terms of spending when it comes to tight ends. 
And what happened with the Tyler Croft extension pretty much guarantees he'll be back and you, or else you'd have to eat some money there because they guaranteed his salary or, or significant portion of it. I just don't know if there's the the clear path to adding to this room. And like you said, I think Greg, Greg Olson was a unique opportunity that, that if they were to bring him in, it was goodbye Tyler Croft. That didn't work out. And you saw the domino effect of the new deal for Croft. And I think it kind of puts the bills out of the market for these two guys. I would agree with that. But there is a former Buffalo Bill who we've already been down this road with, who just recently hit the market. Cordy Glenn, tackle from Cincinnati, just recently hit the market. There was some seriously bad blood between Cincinnati and Cordy Glenn over some handling of medical and team doctors there in Cincinnati. And he finds himself an unrestricted free agent free to sign with any team. The Bills had Cordy Glenn. They used him as part of a trade piece to get up into the first round of the 2018 NFL draft to be able to take Josh Allen. Now, he finds himself on the market again. The Bills have his previous replacement, Deion Dawkins, entrenched at left tackle, but there's still a possibility of a right tackle thing. A lot of people thought Cordy Glenn was a right tackle or a guard coming out of college. Joe, does he have anything left? What do you think? Man, how would you like to be the Bengals? You you think you get an answer at offensive tackle. You move back to 21. You get Billy Price, who just has not worked out for them. And so you thought you found two answers to your offensive line, and you didn't find one. So that's just a disappointing deal for them. But obviously, Brandon Bean won the trade. I don't know. I, th- I think Cordy Glenn is a player that I'm not sure he's a player at this point that I feel comfortable with as a true upgrade at right tackle. And we don't know if he can play guard. He's never played it. And, you know, he's 30 something years old. Uh, I, it would be a pass for me, but I don't dismiss the idea that Glenn could be a starter for somebody in 2020. So staying on the line, but moving over to the defensive side of the line, I recognize that this is going to initially come off as a, as a, probably a no for a lot of bills fans, but I don't want you to necessarily sleep on Cameron Wake from Tennessee. I understand he's 37 years old, but Cameron Wake, very low key, I think had a good year last year. And I think he continues to play well into his late thirties. And if you're worried about the second part of Lorenzo Alexander, that being the versatility he gave you with being able to do some pass rush things, if you're worried about filling that part of Lorenzo Alexander's role, you know, we always talked about the fact that it needs to be more than one person. It's not going to be one guy who fills the Lorenzo Alexander role. If you're worried about part of that role, I'm completely okay with bringing in Cameron Wake on a one-year deal because I think he can still play. And I saw it in Tennessee last year. I think he's a reasonable player, especially if you don't resign Shaq. You don't want to go into the draft going, goodness gracious, we absolutely need to draft an edge rusher high. If we don't, we're totally toast. That's a bad spot to be in, and Brandon Bean has openly said he doesn't want to put himself in that spot. So I'm on board with Cameron Wake. Joe, agree or disagree? I like the idea of Cameron Wake. I mean, think back to 15 when the Panthers brought in Jared Allen to come and and, and help them kind of get over the hump there, and they went to the the Super Bowl uh, with that 2015 Panthers defense with, uh, with a player like Jared Allen playing a meaningful role. I think what Cam Wake would do for this Bills defense is offer something they don't have, which is legit speed off the edge. And I think even at Cam Wake's age, what is he, 35, 36 years old? Uh, 38, excuse me. <laughs> he, he would be the most explosive pass rusher 
on the team in terms of a true speed guy off the edge. That's no disrespect to Jerry Hughes, but um, having at least another player with comparable burst would be nice because right now the Bills have some slow burn pass rushers and to have some juice or some more juice would be really, really nice off the edge on a, on a one-year deal. Sometimes when it comes to the New England coaching tree, and it comes to running backs. It really is a matter of specialization. You've seen what that coaching tree has been able to do with specialized patch catching running backs. You saw it with Kevin Falk. You saw it with Deion Lewis. And now one of those players is on the market, and that's Deion Lewis. He's available because he was brought in as a one-two punch with Derrick Henry. It didn't quite happened the way that they wanted it to. He wasn't able to pry as many carries away from Henry as they probably thought he was going to. But is there a chance it just wasn't the right fit? And in an offense that is more familiar to him and an offense that perhaps could utilize him a little bit better, he could come in, be legit competition for TJ Yeldon for that RB2 spot. Joe, I am of the opinion Deion Lewis is an upgrade from TJ Yeldon as far as the pass catching back goes. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's kind of where my mind goes with this. If we feel like Yeldon is a specialized back in terms of a pass catcher, Lewis is an upgrade over him, and I would like that idea. I still don't think he's the total answer when it comes to RB2 behind Devin Singletary. I'd still like to see an interesting draft pick or maybe even a more meaningful veteran, but TJ Yeldon is a player that you absolutely look at on this roster and say he shouldn't be handed RB three. He deserves competition on a modest one year deal in a, in an offense that he does have some familiarity with. I think he could help Josh Allen get the football out into space a little bit quicker when he wants to target running backs and get them involved in the passing game. So yeah, would not mind this as, as true competition for Yeldon. While we're on the subject of pass catching targets for Josh Allen, I don't think we're really talking about the fact that Isaiah McKenzie is probably not coming back. I think we just call all kind of assumed he was going to get tendered and he was going to be back and there's no buzz. Have you heard any buzz about that, Joe? Because I haven't heard anything. No, I think he's so upgradable. That's the interesting part. I, so many different receivers I think about from this year's draft class. Um, even if you were to go out and get a guy like uh, Brashard Perryman from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think his role is valuable in the Bills offense in terms of what it does, the functionality of it, getting some horizontal spacing going. But I think it's a position where you feel like you can upgrade. You can get a player that brings more to the table. I think Isaiah McKenzie made some plays for the Bills whenever he's gotten chances and limited opportunities within the structure of the offense, but I'm not sure – that was as much McKinsey as it was opportunity created by, by Brian Dable. So I think it's super upgradable. And I think the bills want to really revamp that receiver room. And uh, I think you can get a player that does more from the McKinsey role, especially when you think about it. He doesn't give you that value that you're hoping for in the return game because he's just not reliable as a ball handler. And so that really takes away from McKinsey being a very desirable guy for that role because it's not he's not as versatile as, as you wish he was. So the way I see it, as far as that rule on the offense, you can look at it a couple different ways. Number one, those kind of plays go to Robert Foster. We saw the speed on field at the Tennessee game when Robert Foster got a chance to show some wheels out in the open field. And you thought, wow, goodness gracious, why isn't he taking more jet sweeps? Why isn't he taking more of those Isaiah McKenzie maneuvers? Or you could say, hey, Andre Roberts has got the vision in the return game. Let's give him an opportunity to get some of those Isaiah McKenzie touches. Or you could draft someone who gives you that, maybe someone like a LaVisca Chenault who gives you that opportunity. Or you can go to Taylor Gabriel, 
who got released by the Bears, which is the reason I initially even brought this up. My opinion is that if you think Isaiah McKenzie is too limited, you're probably not going to have a super high opinion of Taylor Gabriel because I do think he gives you more than Isaiah McKenzie gives you for sure. Absolutely, he does. But if you're trying to revamp the whole room and you don't want to have just a guy for those kind of things, then maybe Taylor Gabriel's not your cup of tea. Joe, thoughts on Taylor Gabriel released from the Bears? Yeah, I, I think he's he's a better version of Isaiah McKenzie. He's still not the complete version of Isaiah McKenzie, if that makes sense. And um, I don't necessarily love what Matt Nagy did with Gabriel when they, he brought him over to Chicago. I think it was a good idea that was poorly executed. That may have been due to Matt uh, Mitch Trubisky's lim- limitations, but I think he's a slightly better version than McKenzie, but not the complete version that I really want. I think that's fair. I think it's real fair. Well, coming up on the close here, there's just a couple more players I want to talk about. The first being Prince Amukamara from the Bears. So we signed Josh Norman. There's still Levi Wallace on the roster. There's some discussion as to whether or not Kevin Johnson will be coming back. So really, this becomes kind of an either or with Kevin Johnson versus Prince Amukamara. I personally would take Kevin Johnson. I think that there's still untapped potential there. I think that one of the main reasons why he got his fifth-year option extended from Houston but then got cut was it's just simply availability issue. I don't think it's a talent problem. It's not an athletics issue. But with Prince of Mukamar, you're getting an older player, but someone who's been more available. So if you are dealing with Kevin Johnson as a second free agent signing or Prince of Mukamara as a second free agent signing, what are your thoughts there? Prince of Mukamara was the was the veteran guy I hope the Bills signed over Josh Norman. Uh, you know, Prince is is 30 years old, younger than Josh Norman. And I think you could argue that 2018 was his best season in the league. And he wasn't that bad in 2019. So I thought he was a perfect fit. I mean, super high character, process guy. I thought he was a slam dunk veteran corner for for the Bills. And then went with Josh Norman. But at this point, because Josh Norman's already in the room, I want that more athletic upside, the guy with more of a ceiling in Kevin Johnson based on what we saw from him last year in the system. And let's not forget Kevin Johnson did a good job contributing on special teams as well last year. Okay. So two more players to talk about, both linebackers, Kareem Martin from the Giants and former Buffalo Bill Nigel Bradham. I understand that the whole replacing Zoe thing, we've already been through that, but Martin, Bradham, I'll, I'll toss in Alec Ogletree while we're there. We'll just hit all three of them at the same time. Bradham is not the player that he was for the Bills in Jim Schwartz's 4-3 defense. I personally would not be a fan of bringing him back at this point. I think that he's been in the same defense. We don't, we don't have a lot of external factors affecting Nigel Bradham. It's not like you can say with Josh Norman, well, you know, he didn't have as much help around him or, hey, you know, he wasn't in the right system. Nigel Bradham was in the same system that he was for the Bills. We just saw a slow degradation of his skills as he's gotten a little bit older. I'm personally not in favor of bringing in Nigel Bradham. Alec Ogletree, I don't think played very well. I I think he fits the archetype. If we're being really structured and rigid with the Sam linebacker discussion, as we talked about earlier, then he fits the archetype of being able to play in the line scrimmage. Super athletic, but it's really interesting. You and I, I think I had this discussion before that if you have a linebacker who has all of the athleticism and none of the instincts, mm-hmm. you end up with Alec Ogletree. Mm-hmm. So when you look at his body type and you're like, oh, absolutely, it's a Sam linebacker. But I've always felt Alec Ogletree was always kind of an underwhelming player. But 
Of those three players, Kareem Martin, Alec Ogletree, Nigel Bradham, does anybody do anything for you, Joe? Not much. Kareem Kareem Martin, I think, I don't know why he's played so much stand-up stuff so far in the NFL. I think he's a hand-in-the-dirt base end in a 4-3, and I think part of his struggles have been because he's not been in the right role. Alec Ogletree gives away more than he takes, and I just feel like there's just some – there's just plays that he's going to cost you because he's not where he's supposed to be. And it's been his MO for a long time in the league. If I had to pick one, it would probably be Bradham. And that really comes down to if it was a traditional Sam linebacker role, I do trust Bradham to play downhill into the line of scrimmage. He's actually been a pretty good coverage player throughout his career, including recently. I think he's the guy that I trust the most. I just, I mean, you just wonder if, if it's a player that, the Bills will want to have back in terms of that role. I feel like they will gravitate more towards some of the guys we talked about earlier in our discussion in, in Thomas Davis or Christian Kirksey before Bradham would be on the radar. All right, last player we're going to talk about. We talked about Linvel Joseph and specifically getting more stout up front and that there's not necessarily a glaring need at one tech, but it's not to say that you can't get better in that spot. It's not to say that there isn't somebody, well, we can't get him. He's a one tech because Damon Harrison is out there. And I will, I will openly say that I love snacks. He's one of my absolute favorite players in the entire NFL. Um, I love his personality. I understand that there will always be a role for someone like snacks Harrison. Now, obviously we have to discuss whether or not he wants to keep playing and system and things like that, but I'm in favor of, of sniffing around the snacks in the pantry and making sure we could bring somebody in who makes sure that we kind of have contingencies against Harrison Phillips not coming back to the same form that we started to see at the beginning of the 2019 season. Do you do you feel interested? Do you have any munchies for some snacks, Joe? Sure do. Uh, for all the reasons I, I was behind the Linval Joseph idea, I get behind it for Damon Harrison, who gives you maybe even better run stopping ability. And I just go back to what a player like this could mean for Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano in terms of being able to roam more freely, not deal with as much traffic and get downhill and close those windows. And so I think that he makes you more stout and in doing so you get more production from those two playmakers on the second level. And um, I think that's been an issue for the bills. They they've the depth of the defensive tackle group hasn't really shown enough consistency competing for their gap and keeping the second level free where Damon Harrison is a, is an unquestioned player in that capacity that I think you can get for a fairly modest one-year deal to help those second level players get things to the next level and of course protect yourself uh, against being all in on Harrison Phillips being able to come back and be the player we saw over the first couple of weeks of the season last year. So Joe, Thank you so much for being here, man. I really appreciate it. This has got to be a crazy time for you trying to get ramped up for the NFL draft, all this stuff happening. What's what's headed, what's going on there at the draft network right now? What kind of stuff you got in the plans that you're working on right now? Getting ready for the draft. I mean, obviously there's some questions about whether or not the draft will happen on schedule uh, being late April, like April 23rd, or if it's going to get bounced back a few weeks and Obviously, the dynamics of the pro days being shut down and no player interviews and meetings being able to happen certainly makes this a very different draft cycle. But, you know, I, I think for, for me, in a lot of ways, 
I know a lot of people's lives are very much impacted, but in terms of my workflow, you know, nothing really changes other than I'm still trying to grind out these last, you know, 50, 75 prospects that I need to get reports up on and, uh, try to try to be able to be as prepared as I can for the draft at the end of April. That way we can talk about these players, not just for the bills, but obviously my responsibilities for the entire league. So it's, it's film, it's scouting reports, and it's, ta- it's paying attention to all these transactions as it relates to the NFL draft, because there are going to be some dominoes that happen in free agency that completely shifts the landscape of what we think will happen with the first round, second round of the draft. So there's so much implications, so much to stay on top of and uh, very little sleep to be had this time of year. <laughs> it's kind of weird. You know, I was thinking about this the other day that there's always a gap between what draft Twitter and what draft analysts and what teams have as far as information goes. And a lot of that is based on pre-draft visits. It's based on medicals. It's based on interviews. It's based on all the stuff that we can get sourced information from, but we not can't necessarily have. And I wonder if this scenario with what's going on in the sports world and with the world in general right now, almost it almost levels the playing field. If you think about it, between draft Twitter and teams, because a lot of the stuff that teams were going to have access to are different now. Now, I understand they're still going to be able to do meetings and things like that. You know, you can do it virtually and things like that. But I can't help but wonder if in a strange way, this almost gets the information that teams have versus the information that draft Twitter, draft analysts, you know, NFL.com people, things like that. I almost wonder if this gets that a little bit closer than it has been in years prior. Am I completely off here or is that a a weird observation to you too? No, you know, I think, I think it's pretty fair. Um, It's always something that we have to fight just because we won't have every layer to it. And, you know, I try to get to as many games as I can and and meet as many players as I can. And there's no question that even just from a a media perspective, being able to talk to guys, you just have a better feel for them as players uh, without even having the opportunity to really put them through a formal interview or get them on the whiteboard or really dig into the hard questions that would impact your decision to give them millions of dollars or not. So um, it, it levels it a bit, but I think more than anything, I think about these guys that are injured and can't have combine rechecks. Think about a guy like Tua Tonga Vailoa. This, if this guy can't have his recheck and then have his throwing session in April, who's going to invest the top five pick in him? You know, I think, I think there's these implications uh, for, for the draft are so, so big and, um, you know, I, as of right now, we think the draft is going to happen on April 23rd. But the more and more you think about the layers to this, I wouldn't be surprised if that changes. Well, I appreciate you being flexible with me, and I, I'm sure you're going to have to be flexible with the draft. And Joe, thanks so much for being here, man. I really appreciate you being here. Um, where can the folks find you on Twitter? Where can they find your work? Yeah, appreciate it, Bruce. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at the Joe Marino. And of course, the thedraftnetwork.com is where all my written work is. And then the Lockdown Bills podcast, where we talk bills every day. Well, I'll be listening. That's for sure. Thanks so much, Joe. I really appreciate you being here. And uh, Buffalo Rumblings listeners, stay tuned for the next episode of the Nick and Nolan Show coming to you this week on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast channel. Thanks so much. Go Bills. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha.